Praise the Lord. It's good to be here. Good to be with all of you guys. Um, we're in Ecclesiastes once again. Um, <laughs> um, better to go to the house of mourning than it is to a party. Uh, you know what? A, what a thing to say, right? That that's not a popular message, and uh, that that's the subject here because the Holy Spirit doesn't need an editor, and he doesn't. He's not looking for likes or shares. He's going to tell the truth. And yet, that truth is for us. And this is, remember, the preacher calls together the congregation. And so, it's easy to read this. And I I did for a long time to read Ecclesiastes, especially as if he was talking to two separate people, saying, if you're an atheist, this is what you're dealing with, but not if you're a Christian, right? And instead of going, man, this is a congregation, this is a covenant people of Israel. And so, what's that mean in this regard? He's talking to us, talking to us today of how Jesus walks out of Jerusalem. Knowing, let me think about this. There's probably up to three years of Jesus' ministry. There's probably not a handicapped person left anywhere in the area. If you've got yourself a physical problem after year two in Jesus' ministry, you don't think someone's going to say, dude, you need to go see this Jesus fellow. Think about that for a second. And then he was crucified. And knowing he was going to do that, he walks out, he looks back, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I gather you like a hen gathers its chicks, but you wouldn't come. God is love. We talk about love in our secular culture all the time, but we really talk about mutual using. We don't talk about real love. And and here, God loves us so much, he's warning us about all of, the, all of the weariness that Ecclesiastes is talking about. Everything's full of weariness. Are you tired? I mean, I'm piggybacking on Pastor Early's sermon earlier. Are you tired? You've been working really hard. If we take a badge of honor today in America, how you doing? I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. I'm busy. Why are you so busy, Christian? Where's your rest? Do you make time for prayer? Do you make time for the Word? Do you make time for real fellowship? So... He says, strangely enough, this is Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 4, a good name is better than precious ointment, and a day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. This is a loving commandment. The living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the face, sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord for His word. Um, death produces a, a readiness to consider the sober realities, says H.C. Uh, Leopold, and uh, there's nothing else can do that. I was just in a hospital last week, and and this is my own experience. I had walked away from the Lord. Pastor Early was talking about this earlier. Um, I was saved when I was a young man, in college years and so forth. I went off to reservation. Um, I like to blame it on the bad theology that I was given. <sighs> those, were not, those were not restful years. Those were tempestuous years in which in every single corner I had no rest and I was always in, I was always in some kind of pain. I was always trying to self-medicate through busyness. And I think that's what the busyness of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, is talking about. I was busy with a project. I was busy with try, busy trying to vindicate myself, justify what I was doing, trying to get recognition, trying, 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 and I wouldn't, I couldn't find any rest. And then, 
as I like to joke with my family, God killed my mother. Now, they get, they get awkward. They don't like that terminology. And I'm like, my mother died. My mother was very close to, got cancer. She, um, she walked two miles a day, had a great diet, didn't smoke. She was thin. She was a Christian woman, beautiful lady, inside and out. My dad outlived her by a good 10 years, smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, didn't take care of himself on uncontrolled diabetes, you know, just yelling at the TV about his, 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 uh, one of his sports teams not playing well, you know. And there you go. There's a, there's a point of, you know, you're not going to, I'm not in control of those things. But nevertheless, I remember sitting there in the hospital where, where she was in a, a Catholic hospital in the Midwest in 2003 and watching clumps of her hair fall out. Many of you have been there and seen this. And uh, she's got bruising all up and down her arms because they couldn't get the vein to get the IVs in and the whole bit. And it's, it's not a good scene, right? I'm sitting there looking at her and thinking, because she, she kept apologizing to me because I had a business to run. I'm so sorry. And that's what she's doing. I was thinking about my wife having surgery last week. She was, she was apologizing to me because she was upsetting my schedule. And the sad part is, I have to report to you guys, I was thinking about my schedule a bit. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be here. None of us do. Right? But going to the house of mourning helps me. That's what by the going to the house of mourning keeps us from thinking that we're going to be here forever. And I was watching my mother's hair fall out and looking at those those bruises on her arm. And I'm, this is not from me, this is from the Holy Spirit, right? That says, hey, that's where you're going. Right? This woman who's poured out her life for you and all of her prayers, this is where you're going. This is a blessing to have her there. That's what he means. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. A priest comes in the room and he says, uh, um, ask her if she wants to sing. She, of course, she wants to sing Amazing Grace. She's a terrible voice. She wants to sing Amazing Grace. So I'm sitting there, we're singing Amazing Grace, and of course, you know, even though I wasn't walking with the Lord, you know the words of Amazing Grace. I'm singing this, save the rest like me. And I've, I've, you guys maybe had this experience of the Holy Spirit coming in and saying, it's time, you're coming back. I didn't reason my way. I didn't do that. I can't do that. There's an inability. Um, so when Pastor Early was talking about that this morning, it was really it hit me because I'm, I felt for probably about a good five, six, seven years afterwards that I really regretted having walked away and having dabbled in things I shouldn't have dabbled in and not ideologies I shouldn't have. And it bothered me. And now I realize that, you know, one of the things that the Lord does is he uses those sorrows. And he also used that as humility for me to go, hey, you, you, don't, you don't have this covered. Um, so going to the house of mourning, I look at that as one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was one of the, the closest times I've ever been to the Lord and all of that pain. We don't like to think of it that way. Right? Um, but here it is. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Um, naturally, my thoughts run to easy street, right? I get everything covered. I get everything, you know, I'm a dude, right? I want to have my checking account, everything's set. Everything's good. Family's set up. Savings are good, the whole thing, right? Easy street. You're taking care of everything. Um, you think of the party. Now, all of us will have different ideas of what a party is and what the house of mirth will look like, but... I think it catches all of us in that net. But those things actually never improve us, do they? Those aren't the things that improve us. Because why? Because we're truth suppressors. 
Romans 1. We're truth suppressors. We see God's kindness and forbearance, not as a mercy, Romans 2, 4, not to bring us to repentance. We see that as our due, and then when something goes wrong, we're going, well, what's wrong? I don't believe he did in this. Um, so we, we, we don't look at this as evidence of judgment coming. We don't like that. We have to, how dare you give me this difficulty? So it's for this reason to paraphrase C.S. Lewis that the house of mourning, that is the funeral home, the hospital, is God's megaphone. It snaps us out of this nonsense. Christianity turns everything upside down. It flips it backwards. It shakes it up. It stirs it silly. It confounds everything. I was in horrible pain as my mother was dying, emotional anguish, and yet as joyous as could be because I knew God was real and he loved me and he wasn't mad at me. I can't explain it. You guys have experienced it. I can't explain it. Experience it. He wasn't mad at me. <sighs> he should be. I know what I would have done if the prodigal son had returned to me. I know what I would have said. I wouldn't have run out to meet him. <laughs> That's not in me. Spurgeon said, if you, have, if you find it impossible to forgive those who trespass against you, you will find it impossible to be in the kingdom of heaven. Um, that's what I mean. It is. It confounds us all. And it's, so, as Paul said, where is it? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made fools the wisdom of the world? He has indeed. But what? It, what does that mean? Does that mean Einstein was an ignoramus? Does it? Does it mean Steve Jobs was a moron? Is Elon Musk an idiot? What he's saying is that there is a context and perspective here. We need to understand that the Bible is never condemning knowledge, not true knowledge anyway. It's never commanding us to be uneducated. Rather, the dividing line is the context in which knowledge is held. It's foolishness to assume that this world is anything but God's creation. It's foolish to believe in a chance universe and yet be a scientist. How would one account for the uniformity of nature, which is what science rests upon? How would you do that? It, the, at the bottom of all of this, of scientific materialism we see today, there's ultimate irrationalism. That's preposterous. They're not uneducated. They're not unskillful. They're foolish in the sense that they're morally suppressing the truth. So again, how do you reconcile the logic of uniformity of nature um, in a chance-survived world? You can't. How do you arrive at the, the idea that people have worth and meaning if they're just bags of gas banging through existence, coming out of nothing, going back to nothing. How does watching your mother die mean anything in a chance-riddled universe? doesn't mean anything. That's the point. True knowledge without God is impossible, so we end up with very educated and technically skilled fools, as the Bible would say it. Um, it's not saying the way Mr. T would call somebody a fool, if you got remember the great A-team show. Uh, it's, a, it's a technical definition. You're a fool because you're, you're starting your life from the presupposition and premise that there is no God. And God does not have a moral nature of righteousness. He's not holy. So what does this have to do with why are we in Ecclesiastes 7 with this? Because Christians can live like practical atheists or practical deists. That's what the preacher is warning us against. I think we've all been there at some point. Remember, it's perseverance of the saints, not perfection of the saints. Perseverance of the saints. We're going to have a problem moving through our lives where all of us have had that thing where we've just sort of been on a low ebb that kind of thing. Some of us really walk away. But the context here is king always, especially in Ecclesiastes. A preacher is continual, continually challenging covenant people to think in big picture 
because sin's hallmark is to think, as Francis Schaeffer called it, in bits and pieces. As Van Til would call it, in brute factuality. We're not thinking in terms of God's plan. Um, the other day, I'm driving down the road. Um, classic rock is on. Uh, Rick Springfield's song, Love Somebody, is on. Right? And it says right there on the screen, it says it'll love somebody. And so I happen to say to the, to the screen, you know, don't give me an ethical commandments, Mr. Springfield. <coughs> You're not authorized to give ethical commandments. Tell me to love anybody. Only the Lord your God is. You should repent of that. Now, Jake is sitting over there, and Jake starts chuckling and laughing his head, as the teenage boys often do. And he said, is there anything you can't make theological? And so I said, well, actually, that was a theology question right there. But um, anyhow, so he's saying love somebody. And, he, and the, the line is, you better love somebody. It's late. You better love somebody. Everyone is making ethical commandments or issuing them and living by an ethical code. All of us. You can't get away from it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Instead of saying, what does the Lord say? What does the scripture say? We're, we're letting the world tell us things. The preacher and all that scripture, which we're learning to have a renewed mind that's looking at the world only from the scriptural basis. Now again, if you ask me if I want a cookie, I'm authorized to answer that question. You ask me if I want another tundra, I'm authorized to answer that question. If you ask me if I'm okay with Chris Sale going to the Braves, I'm, okay, I'm authorized to answer that question. If you ask me what's right and wrong, I'm not authorized to answer that question. If you ask me what's good and bad, I'm not authorized to answer that question, and neither are you. If you ask me what makes me happy, I'm actually not authorized to answer that question either, because I don't even know what I am. Who can discern his errors? They claim me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Deliver me from the evil one in temptation. I don't even really know. I'm 54 years old as I sinned before you, and I thought things, if I get this one thing, I'll be good. <laughs> okay? The hedonistic paradox. If you get what you want, you're generally bored and frustrated, and you grow bitter. You don't get what you want, you just grow bitter faster. Okay? So, so, uh, I love, love, love those moments where we get to talk some theology over, over a song and radio or anything else. But uh, the point here, Donald Gray Barnhouse points this out, is that, and this is a minority view of Romans 8. The beginning of it, if you want to turn with me quick, Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, is, of course, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's an amazing line. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, now here's where some of the... And I, I normally read it this way, too. All of a sudden, he starts talking about the saved and the unsaved. Barnhouse goes, no, he's not talking about the saved and the unsaved. He's talking about the saved who are walking in a living death. They've walked away from the Lord. Ready? Um, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Now, Barnhouse points this out, and we don't have time to go over all of it, but that he's not doubling back to talk about the unsaved. He already dealt with that in Romans 1, 2, and 3, of the universal nature of sin, the universal death. And then in Romans 4, the, the, as the gospel breaks out, what has God done about that? And in Romans 5, that we rejoice even in our sufferings, right? And in Romans 6, that you, you, you're no longer in Adam, you're in Christ. Romans 7, the mature Christian realizing they're never going to be perfect in this age. And they're never going to be without sin, and they're mourning over their sin. And still again, but, right, God again, okay, who will deliver me from this body of death? Ah, yes, but we have no condemnation. Doesn't say we have no difficulties, doesn't mean we're going to have no death around us, but it does say we'll have no condemnation. And then, yeah, the death he's talking about, Barnhouse says about a woman that her, her ch- lost her child, they wa- wandered off in the woods and got lost. And uh, she was in a living death. While the police went out and they had everybody out looking for the child for, for a long while, they thought the child was, was, had perished. When they finally came in and told her they found the child, the child is safe, the woman was back to life again. <laughs> but she had been in a living death. And the point Barnhouse makes, and I think Ecclesiastes, the preacher, is making it, is if we go off after the world and we go off out of the will of our Father, we are in a living death. We are miserable. And we're feeling that death because of the separation of God. Barnhouse <coughs> says the Holy Spirit retreats to a corner of your heart until you, you will not piecemeal submit to him. You will do it all or you will not at all. Now, again, perseverance of the saints is that he's talking about the saved people, which is one of the reasons why I've learned a lot in going. I, I, used, to, I used to be pretty good at this. Uh, they're not saved. <laughs> There's no way that person's saved. I am sorry to confess to you. It was much long, really long ago, though, just for at least a few weeks. <laughs> but because we don't know what he's doing in everybody's life. And no one's sanctification looks like somebody else's. Another thing about Romans 8 here is that as a writer, the word things jumps out. I think of the word things, and I would never put that. That's too vague, a description. Imagine this description. There were things in the room that Jason went into. And when Jason went in the room with the things, he spoke about things. Now, you would justifiably, everybody in here, especially who's done CC, by the way, going to look at that and go, that is terrible writing. You need to clean that up. You need to edit that. The Holy Spirit doesn't need an editor. I think why, Barnhouse voice both point this out. Why does he use things? Because everyone's walk with Christ is going to look much different. And if you get up in the morning and you look at the news, maybe you should read scripture more. Maybe you should pray right away. Maybe you shouldn't. Uh, my dad used to get up and do the crossword puzzles. That's the first thing he did. Crossword puzzles, that black tar coffee he'd drink. Um... I'd read the funny pages. He'd have the newspaper there. I'd just grab the funny pages and read the sports and the funny pages. That's what I would do. I don't know what you do with your routine. I don't know if you pray a lot when you're walking. I don't know if you pray when you're biking. I don't know if you pray, you've made a corner of your bedroom or you're somewhere in your house, a little prayer corner. I don't know. But I am not your judge. And as Barnhouse said, you may not be mine. But I will say one thing that's consistent for all of us is if we walk away from the word and prayer and fellowship, we're going to suffer. It's a living death. That's the weariness coming from our lives. We're trying to fulfill ourselves, even as saved people, through the things of the world. Right? So, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 10, he says, um, 
So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. But we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's the goal right there. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, that's 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 10. Um, we're good courage, and we must all appear before the judgment seat. That member, everyone is going, we're going to keep that appointment one way or the other. And the judgment speaks of, and we're going to hit this later when we, when we reach Ecclesiastes 12. Um, the judgment, we're going to give an accounting of our lives to the, to the holy God. Um, who saved us. And we'll, again, we'll deal with that and what it means. There's no condemnation for us. It's not a judicial judgment of condemnation, but it is an accounting. What have you been doing? Where were you born? Who are you? What's the goal of your life? What's the meaning of your life? <coughs> if you don't get that, what's going to happen is by default, that's the purpose here of Ecclesiastes, you're going to go after worldly things and get taken captive by them. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5-10, through 10, if you want to turn to that. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5-10. through 10, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Feel like that. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. He didn't give, us, he didn't give him more money. He didn't give him a check, a, a raise. Another Christian came. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. It's a fascinating line. We derive comfort from watching other Christians with each other. What a beautiful thing. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. Money isn't going to give you that. The raise isn't going to give you that. The real Christian love is going to give us this. This is what the Lord wants for us. He wants to gather us. The hen gathers his chicks, but we won't come because we're still we're so convinced that our problem's out there. Our problem is our boss, our circumstances, our situation. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. That's a great line. As a parent who's disciplined his child, you sometimes have to tell us hard things to your children because you love them. And it grieves you, but it doesn't grieve you because you know what's coming. Ready? As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You were grieved into repenting. Remember, everything we're doing, where is Christ in this? Where is Christ in this? For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss to us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. That's 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 through 10. And that's what the preacher is doing. It's better to go to a house in mourning. Stop looking at life in such a supercilious and, and superficial fashion. Stop thinking it's all right here. It means to lead us to repentance to Christ. And what a pattern for all of us. Instead of getting into any disputes with one another, the question is, where's Christ in that? If I can't get the Christ in this one, forget it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Why would I bother? Um, Psalm 90, verses, uh, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Again, hard truth. It's a you know, godly sorrow. 
Have you been thinking of the end? Have you been thinking of where you're going? That's the perspective and the context. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. <clears throat> Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and try to make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are missed, it appears for a little time and then vanishes. Same thing the preacher is saying. In your short life, you're missed. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And that goes back to uh, Romans 14, verse 23. Whatever is not a faith is sin. Right? Live a life of faith. We're, our goal is to know the Lord and love the Lord. This isn't, this isn't about dry and arid legalism. It's about bursting forth with love. All the stuff about money, he's been going over money, money, acclaim, fame, all the busyness in the previous chapters. Why? Because that's where our heads are generally at. Not on Christ. So our perspective shifts, and it's a living death. It's a living death. This church, God's church, is the greatest and most powerful entity in all of the universe. It is his, and he can do whatever he wants with it. We submit, we pray, we, we read the word with love. Lord, what will you teach me today? Imagine what he can do. As Pastor earlier talked about this morning, what the promises of the Lord first and foremost come to those who are seeking him and righteousness through faith alone. Um, let's watch what happens when covenant people don't focus. Uh, if you want to turn to Genesis 19, verses 12 through 17, um, one of the great comic tragic moments in all of history. That's verse 19, verses 12 through 17. Um, so they've come to Lot, right? Lot's in Sodom. Too much Sodom is in Lot. Not enough Lot in Sodom. And the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, or uh, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in a city, bring them out of the place. They're about to destroy the city. A lot sitting there going, really? That's kind of that's kind of dramatic, isn't it? That's kind of dramatic. You think of your whatever issue you're dealing with, whether it's it's you walked away from the Lord, maybe it's anger, maybe it's fear, maybe it's you're so irritated with the direction America's heading, maybe it's personal sin, <laughs> lust, porn, whatever. You think the Lord really fixed this? Can the Lord really? Does He really have that power? You have to ask when you ask the question that way. You go, <laughs> no. but you're asking the question that way when you walk away and distract yourself and get busy. When you're looking at social media instead of focusing on that question, because that question, that house of mourning, is meant to bring you to Him. Now here it is. This is the big moment. He's been distracting himself lot for a good long while, hasn't he? And now here are the angels here, ready to destroy the city. Do you have anybody? Do you have family? Go get them. Judgment's coming. Here it comes. Are we about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it? By the way, these are the angels of the Lord. Notice that they say, well, here's what we're doing and here's our authority. Like a police officer coming into place, here's my badge. This is my badge, right? If you don't have a uniform on with a badge on it, you're going to have to show a badge. That's what you have to do. You have to show your authority. You can't just walk in and do something like that. The angels are under authority. Isn't that cool? Yeah, we don't have any authority to do this. This has been given to us. It's all derivative. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, 
Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. Great line right here. Here it comes. Ready? But they thought he was joking. They thought he was joking. This is a joke. Judgment to non-Christians and carnal Christians is a joke. They don't like to talk about it. In fact, when I talk about it, I've had Christians, I'm convinced that Christians, tell me, you laid it on a little thick, dude. You got to dial it back a bit. You want me to dial back judgment in hell? That's what you want me to dial back? Because it just makes them uncomfortable. And I've liked looking at people straight in the face and going, so, you're going to die. Not today, not tomorrow, maybe, who knows? But tomorrow, that's why I read you about James. You don't know what you're going to do. I saw a video of a dude walking down the road, get hit by lightning, drop dead. <laughs> down he went. The security cam. I was like, what? Guy, wasn't expecting that. Oh, you're laughing. Yeah, I'm like, you know, sorry. I grew up around, you know, a Marine dad who did a lot, of, a lot of poker games with his Army buddies and so forth. I remember hearing one thing one day. He's like, you know, something came up and the one Army guy had been in Nam and he said this. He goes, there's a rule of warfare, kid. You can just get shot. You can get shot doing the right thing. You can get shot doing the wrong thing. But you can sometimes, if this number comes up, you can just get shot. And I'm sitting there, well, walk me through that. And he goes, well, there's a dude we knew. He, you know, he'd been through two tours. I didn't get a scratch on him. Didn't even get like poison ivy or anything. Didn't, didn't even get like a cut from a stick going through the woods. And we're in the woods a lot. So he gets his orders to go back home. He's back, you know, he's back at a base. And there's a bath. Uh, there's a bathtub, and this dude is going to take a bath, and he hasn't had a bath, a nice bath to just chill for a while. And one of our own artillery shells hit that base and blew him up. That's where he got his purple heart. He lived, so it's not hot, you know. He lived, but he, but all the guys passed on a rubber ducky as a joke for the bath because everybody wanted to take this bath. It's a big deal. So he doesn't get shot by the Viet Cong, the Viet, NBA, nothing. He gets hit by an errant artillery shell that hits the base and blew up the, the you know, a privy and a, and, a, and a bath. Cool. Yeah. That's what his point was. Now you know now. And he, and, and he said, I'll talk to him later. I went, we went to see him. And what were you, did you hear? He goes, of course. He's like, there's no way. <laughs> I was just, there's no way. This is going to be happening. I'm safe. I'm safe. Man is always telling himself he's safe. He's trying to snap you out of it. It's not safe. <laughs> so... So, but he seems, so they, he, they think he's jesting. So it's morning dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. All right. The angels come and say, They're going to blow. They're gonna, they're, there goes Greenville. Greenville's gone. And I, I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you guys, but I know what I would say. When? When? Well, in the morning. Well, I got nothing to do overnight. Let's just try to get out of here. I mean, how far is the radius of this blast, maybe? Is it, could I, do I need to be in Columbia? Because I can get in Columbia in 90 minutes. And if I need to push it, I don't care. Because if a cop pulls me over, I'm just taking a ticket and go. Because there'll be no more Greenville anyway. Sorry. <laughs> I don't care. I'm gone. I'm packing up and you're going with me. Sorry. I'm not lingering no morning. Can you imagine going to sleep? He went to sleep. Go get. He went to sleep. This is what the carnal mind does. That's preposterous. So he's lingering. <laughs> and and uh, so the men seize him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And that's what the Lord did to me in a hospital room. 
And that's what he's done to every one of you who are saved. He sees you because you're dead in your sin and your trespasses. And you will not come unless he comes to get you. He will take you. He will get you. And if you're not, if you're resisting, you're in a living death. You're pursuing the things of the world, whether it's the lust, the pride, trying, trying, to, trying to get recognition from your peers or whatever it is that you, you so desire more than him, it's killing you daily. Don't live like that. So the Lord being merciful to him, what a line. The Lord being merciful to him, um, they took him and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And that's Genesis 19, 12 through 17. Um, <laughs> so... Why is it better to go to the house in mourning? Because it just continues to remind us of the basics that we need to be reminded of because in our carnal minds, we're like this, that dog in the movie Up. Squirrel. <laughs> right? That's what we're doing. I mean, I, I do it all the time. I had to get a good oil change the other day. I know I'm talking about my truck again. I apologize. But I had to get an oil change. I saw another truck, a new truck. And I have a great truck that's in there for an oil change, and I was looking at the new truck, and I'm like, what's the matter with me? I have a serious problem. <laughs> We're doing that, right? It's never enough. Never enough. Um, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Or another one, and it's coming up in a couple of chapters, in chapter 8, verse 11, is because the judgment against an evil deed isn't executed right away. We think we're getting away with sin. Talked to somebody the other day about um, something going on in politics, and uh, somebody came up and I went, you know, the thing is, there's a difference between sin and iniquity, or sin and crime. And so, and in the self-defense world, I teach, it is a terrible thing, it's a repugnant thing, assault on human beings and so forth. But we have a tendency to think that that's worse than being thankless. Why? Because well, it's against who that crime was against, a sinner. R.C. Sproul was once that someone tried to confound him. Well, how do you explain the fact that bad things happen to good people? Sproul went, that only happened once, and he went willingly. Okay? Who have we sinned against? Who have we sinned against? A holy God. Oh, that doesn't send a little shudder down your spine. If, if you don't fear sin, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the whole duty and the whole purpose of our lives. If Fear God, that's with reverent awe. But if we don't fear sin first, we'll start fearing not having enough money, not having, not having a meaningful career, not having the right house and the right zip code or something. Something will come in because there are no spiritual vacuums. And that's, what, that's the, the cautionary tale. That's what the preacher is saying. Come, like Jesus said, come, gather up. Be careful. You're going to live a living death. And you will be saved. You are saved because of grace. But you will suffer because none of these things will ever fulfill you because you were meant for a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, as I finish up, I'll just wrap and say, um, lastly, from 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Tell everybody about Jesus Christ. Tell everybody about Jesus Christ. It's the most loving thing you can do. Not fix the political problems in the world. Fix it. Tell people about Jesus Christ. You're the church. You're the church. Therefore, my beloved, again, be steadfast, immovable. Don't be afraid of anybody or anything. You're immortal until the Lord stamps your ticket, like that dude with the lightning. When he does, you're going to go to him. But until then, nothing's going to touch you. Not a hair from your head is going to drop without his approval. You are safe, and the kingdom is not shaken. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Doesn't that clear everything up? That's what the the preacher is trying to tell us throughout this book. If you're tired, Christ will give you rest. If you go off after everything else, you're you're never going to be at rest. Um, I do hope this was edifying and helpful, and praise the Lord, and I'll turn it back over to Bobby. Thanks, guys.